What's happening, everybody? A playoff for just the SEC. What in the world would that look like? How would it work? Locked on SEC starts right now. You are locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. I am Chris Gordy. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online for all the best odds, props, and everything you need to know before placing your bets. BetOnline.net is the best way to go and find all the information you need. Visit Bet Online now. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making Locked On SEC your first listen every day. Remember, Locked On SEC is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube and at LockedOnSEC.com. All right, got plenty. Plenty to jump into today, and first and foremost, we got to start with the future of the SEC and the future of college football and what this thing is really going to look like. Look, there is a lot of talk going on out there. Pete Thamel has put out there the possibility of the SEC staging its own college football playoff. That will be on the table as the meetings in Destin get underway at uh, with all the SEC coaches and Uh, athletic directors and everything else and it is going to be a weird weird topic of conversation because the reality is the sec operates um you know is one of the best conferences in all of uh football obviously but the idea that you're just going to compete with your amongst yourself and play for a championship among yourself It's just very odd. And Pete Thamel writes, one idea certain to be discussed by the SEC officials officials is the notion of the SEC creating, running, and profiting from its own uh, intra-SEC postseason. The most obvious model is an eight-team is an eight-team one, but there are others that will be discussed. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey stressed that no seismic change is imminent, but he did mention that an SEC-only playoff in a variety of forms was among the nearly 40 different models that SEC officials discussed in their fall meetings. Sankey uh, told Thamel, where there's smoke, there's fire. And ESPN uh, said that the idea is under serious consideration. He told ESPN last Monday, as we think as a conference, it is vitally important we think about the range of possibilities. Those unknowns are on our mind as we think about decision-making down the road. This is a fully dynamic environment. It's hard to understand where things will end up if you wait for this to play out. We wanted to be good collaborators. We think we gave up a lot. What was viewed as a balanced approach, given the upfront demands, eventually feel apart. Uh, He went on to say, we also have the responsibility to think broadly about different possibilities. The SEC will continue to do so. So look, it it is a weird, weird hypothetical and you have to consider this too texas and oklahoma are joining the conference you are going to be the 16 team super conference if you just take the top half of the league and say we're going to play it out um most teams will play each other you'll play everybody on the side of your you know if, if you split into east or west or you do the four 14 pods however they decide to do it but theoretically you could do that you take the top eight uh teams in the sec they all go to a playoff with one another and you play it out from there 
I just think it's weird. Like, the SEC takes pride in beating up on the Ohio States or the Clemsons or whoever else that they've beaten for national championships in recent years. It's more fun to go outside and play those teams from the North or the West Coast or the East Coast and show your SEC dominance, your supremacy over those schools on the field. And as fun as the Georgia-Bama championship game was this year, and I do truly think those were the two best teams in the country, it's not always going to be that way. There will be some years where there's one team that's just superior above everybody else in the SEC. But you might have another team from the Big Ten or Big 12 who might be on par. That's where I think all of this is just a little bit ludicrous. I get it. And keep in mind, they're simply saying the topic is on the table. It doesn't mean there's anything imminent from that direction. But come on, man. Like, do we really want to see Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida in a playoff, and then, you know, they play each other head-to-head. We're going to see those during the regular season anyway. Like, I just think you're really watering things down if you're doing an eight-team SEC playoff, and you tell a college football playoff, yeah, this is what we're doing. We're crowning a champion here. No, it's got to be open to the rest of the country. It's got to be open to the other teams to name a national champion. And, yeah, there's going to be the topic of what about the Coastal Carolinas? They never get into the playoff. They never have a chance. I get that. Schedule's tougher non-conference opponents. Cincinnati did that last year. They got a big win over Notre Dame. They made the playoff. Now they got humbled by Alabama in the playoff, but at least they punched their ticket and they got in. I just think the SEC would make a super, super big mistake in saying we're just going to play amongst each other. It's silly. You want to play everybody else. You want to beat USC and Ohio State and Michigan and exert your dominance and say the SEC is the best. And will there be years where an SEC team doesn't play for a championship? Sure. It's happened a couple times. Doesn't happen very often, but you got to be open to that possibility. But the SEC is doing just fine as is. Whether it's a four-team playoff, an eight-team playoff, whatever, it's got to be open to the other conferences. Just my opinion. We'll see what comes of the SEC meetings and what they decide. But ultimately, I think a full-on SEC playoff (laughs) is just absolutely ludicrous. And that's just my opinion. All right, we're coming up next. We're going to get the latest on Jimbo Fisher as he sounds off again in an interview turning contentious on NIL. That is coming up right after I tell you about our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's uh, NBA playoffs, which are winding down, MLB, which is starting to ramp up even stronger. You got fights, even uh, next season's NFL futures and some college football stuff as well, like Heisman odds. You can find it all at BetOnline. They are your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head on over to their website today. You can do so on your mobile device. Learn all about the trends and action. Bookmark them in your phone. Should be the first place you go to every day when you open up your cell phone. BetOnline.net is the place to go. BetOnline, it is where the game starts.
Going along here, Locked On SEC, and man, Jimbo Fisher is still fired up in his latest interview. Get to that in uh, just a second. But thank you guys again for making Locked On SEC your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Jimbo Fisher, fired up again still about name, image, and likeness. And he sat down with KSAT12 in San Antonio for a late, his latest interview. And look, this comes on the heels of him going after Nick Saban uh, in recent weeks. And, well, we'll let you hear the interview. Let's just play it in its entirety. It's a couple minutes here. Again, this is courtesy of KSAT in San Antonio. Here's Jimbo Fisher talking on the NIL stuff. Did the name, likeness, and image rule figure in any way at all into your decision to um, expand your contract? Did you give yourself a second thought no. about, do I really want to deal with this no. for that much longer? Or no. is this something you're having to adapt to regardless? And rules are always a change. That had nothing to do with it. And name, image, and likeness, I keep saying this about recruiting. And I just researched this. Of the 11 guys we have in, in placing that came early, one guy has an NIL deal. Really? Yes. Just one. Just one. So all these stories you're hearing are complete lies. Well, now, because what, it was what written, happened over the last 48 hours? So, nothing. And it never happened before. Because it was written on social media and it started with the Bro Bible Slice Bread deal. Right. So everybody believed it. Nick, all the people obviously believed it. I went and checked with our compliance people because we have nothing to do with it. One guy. Of the 11? Yes. Of the early enrollees. Of the early enrollees. Gotcha. So that said, what is all this dust up about then? Great point. I've just got to ask you, were you shocked that this came up? Because you just told me you only had one. I said that about a while ago. That's why I made the original one back in February when they said we had $35 million in the thing. That's all false. It's all, it was written on social media, so everybody believes it. And you got news channels believing it. Hey, big people believing it. And you believed it. Well, and Nick Saban believed it, obviously. Well, he's not news. You're news. You're media. Do you guys not research? But I, I, I'm asking you, did you, re- did you do your research? You just No, no. See, you can't answer. So you just assumed. And that's the way this world goes now. As soon as it's written on social media and someone says it, you believe it. So where does that put you as guys as reporters? Where does that put coaches like Nick Saban who know better, that, if, if that's the case? I, 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 where does that put reporters at? So you're defending Nick Saban? No, I'm just crazy. I'm asking you guys to okay. put it out in the media. I'm at, I, I, just hold on. I ain't getting into this. Oh, no, no, no. I, I understand, but I just want to. Is this change? It's because social media and media put it out. I got it. Mm-hmm. Does, does you believe it? You just asked me. Sure. Does that change anything? What's it change? Nothing just changed in the beginning. Truth. Truth. What's the truth? Nobody wants the truth. You want a story and a click and a hit. Think. What's the next question? See, I threw you off your game right now. Well, you're, no. all, you're off your game. You're out of questions. <laughs> not, definitely not out of questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so how does that change the... That doesn't change the, anything. Because well, I know the truth. And I've always known the truth. That's why... I, then why that's would why he I, make that accusation? I have to ask him. I, just let me handle it. Why would he make that accusation, though? If, if it's... Why did, you, why did you make that accusation? I didn't make any accusations. I don't know. You have to ask him. Has he apologized to you at all? No, we haven't talked. 
Would you accept his public apology? I said we're not talking. But he publicly apologized. Do you accept that? I didn't read it. I don't read social media. We said it on Sirius XM, but whatever. That's I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't listen to radio. I don't listen to that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you think this is a, of what happened over the last 48 hours, do you think this is a somewhat of a snapshot of a bigger picture problem? I have no idea. When it comes to the NIL? I have no idea. NIL wasn't a problem. Why are the Aggies so good at this? In other but words... We're not. Oh, you, really? You don't think you guys are more organized and more... No. Than any other university? Mm -mm. You don't think that would not have been somewhat of a motivation of why he did what he did? I don't know. You have to ask him. Gotcha. Is there anything you'd like to add to the last 48 yeah. hours that have happened here? Yeah. There was one deal. That's one deal. That was it. And those are. And I checked on that. And I checked on that from our compliance. That's where it goes. And that's all 11 of the early signees. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now so that was from uh, courtesy of KSAT 12 in San Antonio. And as you can hear, Jimbo is still fired up. He is still, <laughs> I, I mean, the line that I thought was a little outlandish, ju just say, and I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be fair to Aggie fans uh, because, look, there is a separation between if a collective agreed to something for a recruit or a current student-athlete for an NIL deal. Jimbo says of the 11 early enrollees in AM signing class, only one of them has an NIL deal. My follow-up question would be, how many have a verbal agreement for a future NIL deal? That's where I think some of this starts to really get into semantics. I don't have an IL deal. Will you have one in a few weeks? Yeah, I don't know. Check back with me in a few weeks. Did you verbally agree to something? Yeah, maybe. You know, it's very, <laughs> it's a very complicated situation. I think what a lot of people around the SEC and around college football have a hard time understanding is how does Jimbo Fisher perennially go eight and four, eight and four? Um, the now the, the COVID year they go nine and one. The one lost Alabama, just missed out making the playoffs, so I get that, um, and look like a program on the rise. And then with the Haynes-King injury last season, kind of derailed the season. Now, Zach Calzada helps him beat Alabama. That was a historic win. That was Jimbo's best win since he's been in, at AM. But then you lose to the Mississippi schools. You lose to LSU. Um, that's where I think a lot of people outside of A&M have a hard time understanding how do you get the most what are you selling those kids on <laughs> you know what I mean I understand you could sell them on we just beat Alabama that's awesome hey and we're gonna keep doing that okay I get that but how do you sell them on I mean are you, are you selling them that look the quarterback injury just derailed us last year we were going to the playoff we were gonna win the SEC West if we don't have the quarterback injury last year and, you know, you get one or two five stars that you sell on that, and then it's like a domino effect. These other five stars start seeing and going, hey, I want to join that class too. That's where people have the hard time buying this, is Jimbo's trying to convince everyone that, look, NIL and all these deals had nothing to do with us getting the most historic recruiting class ever and all these number one recruits. They all picked A&M because they believe in our vision and what we're building here. <laughs> Not saying that can happen for some. Not saying that can't happen for one or two or three five-stars. Absolutely. But how do you get all of these five-stars? How are they all suddenly believing College Station is the place they have to be? Above LSU, above Bama, above Georgia, above Florida, above all these other Texas and Oklahoma. 
That's where the rest of us have a hard time believing it. And so when you come out and say only one of your 11 early enrollees in this recruiting class, this elite recruiting class, has an NAL deal, I would almost flip it and go, do you think you're maybe underserving those guys? (laughs) Shouldn't you maybe get those guys on NAL deals to sweeten the pot? So when you go 7-5 and or 8-4, and at least those guys feel like they bought into something, they're getting something back. Again, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek there, but... That's where the craziness of this lies in, in my mind is. And I know Jimbo's trying to follow the rules. The rules say NIL is not supposed to be a part of recruitment. But he could also say, look, any deals that our guys are getting, they're getting after the fact. They've come to AM and now we've got a great alumni base uh, that has a lot of great businesses that want those kids' name, image, and likeness to endorse them. Nothing wrong with that. And again, you could spin it in a way to say that it wasn't, you didn't use that as an enticement through recruiting, but you can say, yeah, now that these kids are on campus, hell yeah, we're getting them NIL deals. Sweetening the pot, getting them paid while they're here. That's the whole point of this, right? So, I don't know. We have not heard the last of Jimbo Fisher on this, and I cannot wait until SEC media days. By the way, I checked the calendar. Jimbo is there on the last day, the Thursday of SEC meeting days. That's usually the day that everybody bails and starts leaving town early. I guarantee you a lot of people are going to hang around for that last day just to see what Jimbo Fisher has to say. All right, coming up next, we're going to discuss college football's best quarterback rankings from 24-7 sports. How many guys from the SEC made the list? We'll discuss that coming up next. Run along here, locked on SEC. Twenty-four-seven Sports. They put out their rankings. Uh, the college football's twenty-five best quarterbacks entering the twenty twenty-two season, and they ranked them. So I figured, why not give it a uh, why not give it a look here and see what they have uh, when it comes to. SEC quarterbacks in these rankings. And again, uh, they write here in 24-7 Sports, collecting college football's 25 best quarterbacks is essentially an educated guess. Many may be included uh, in Heisman Trophy conversations or Conference Player of the Year conversations as well. But let's take a look at some of the SEC guys they have on this list. Working from the bottom backwards, Anthony Richardson Coming in at number 20 on this list. And Anthony Richardson is a guy that, man, when you talk about the Florida Gators and a guy who can really make an impact this year for them, uh, I I like Anthony Richardson. I think he can be really, really good. Here's what they say on him. It's time to buy stock in Richardson entering his first campaign as Florida's QB1 following the exit of Emory Jones to the transfer portal. He's a dynamic playmaker who will produce under Billy Napier's system if he stays healthy. I agree. He's just got to stay healthy. And I think has to improve a little bit more as a passer and a little less running. Use your feet. Use your running ability, sure. But uh, if he's going to be take his game to the next level, I want to see him stay in the pocket, deliver downfield just a little bit more. Come in number 19, Jackson Dart from Ole Miss. 
They say, here's a pick with a ton of upside and a floor that could result in second-team duties come September. The truth is, Lane Kiffin is unsold on his quarterback competition right now coming out of the spring. Jackson Dart is not where many expected him to be as the head and shoulders best option over Luke Altmeyer. He performed poorly in the Ole Miss spring game, a result of trying to do too much, Lane Kiffin said. Kiffin's wide-open mindset at Ole Miss will give Jackson Dart a chance to freelance a little bit. Now, the weird one is they have Quinn Ewers from Texas at number 18 ahead of Jackson Dart and Anthony Richardson. I feel a little weird with that because Quinn Ewers has yet to play it down in college football. Yeah, he was at Ohio State last year, got in as the early enrollee. Think got an NAL deal or got a truck or something and ended up transferring to Texas, but he still has yet to play down in college football. I can't, like, we can go off potential for Quinn Ewers, but what we've seen on the field, I can't put him ahead of Jackson Dart, who was played at USC, or Anthony Richardson, who played last year at Florida. Just feels a little odd to me. Coming in at number 15, they got Will Levis for Kentucky. They say Levis will be the first of several signal callers taken in the first round of next year's draft, according to CBS Sports' Chris Trapasso. He recently noted Levis is big, chiseled, has a rocket for an arm, He was a surprise pick inside CBS Sports' first top 10 for 2023 earlier this month, and now he's climbed several more spots as a premier quarterback this year. He's a former Penn State transfer, who has been a shot in the arm for the Kentucky passing game. He threw 24 touchdown passes through for nearly 3,000 yards and helping Kentucky win 10 games last year. My only issue with him is you lose Wondell Robinson, who else steps up? I know you bring in a couple grad or a couple of transfers from Virginia Tech and Alabama and Javon Baker. I mean, the opportunity is there, but Will Levis has to capitalize, and those guys have to capitalize as big time weapons to help him. Coming in at number fourteen, I have Will Rogers from Mississippi State. They say, how is this guy being overlooked in numerous way too early rankings of quarterbacks? He was terrific for Mike Leach last year, doing everything asked of him in the air raid offense. He is more than a product of the system. Will Rogers knows where to go with the football and when, and seemed to grow more comfortable as the season went along. Entering this year, his third year understanding Leach's philosophical principles, expectations, Rogers should be somewhere around 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns through the air. Again, we know the production is there with Will Rogers. Are the wins there? That is the question. Then we get into the top 10. Coming in at number 8, they have Spencer Radler from South Carolina, who I've been very bullish on. I like Spencer Radler. I think he's going to be good there under, um, you know, at South Carolina. Here's what they say. Arm talent, natural ability, those are the first items that jumped off the page when you watch Spencer Radler on film. He's able to launch throws to the second level off-platform with a flick of the wrist. Part of the reason some of his best highlights in college have come on the move when he's in freelance mode. In Shane Beamer's second season, he's arguably the most talented player the Gamecocks have ever signed at the position, and with that comes pressure to make those around him better. The biggest question is his ability to ease off the accelerator a bit and avoid mistakes within the confines of what the Gamecocks want to do offensively. He's got to prove it. Spencer Radler has got to take Shane Beamer's club to the next level. They've got to be an 8-9 win team in the East this year. Has the possibility to do it. Coming in at number six, Hendon Hooker, who I'm very high on. They say he does not get the respect he deserves nationally. Behind closed doors, Tennessee's coaching staff believes this guy is the key ingredient to bringing the Vols back to national prominence. 
coming off a 36-touchdown campaign after managing more than 3,500 yards of total offense, facilitating the Josh Heupel tempo-based scheme. If he stays healthy, Tennessee has a chance to upend several big-time opponents on the schedule if the defense is serviceable and Hooker's not playing catch-up with his fellow offensive starters. He is the wild-card pick inside this top 10 with a chance to really shine this fall. I agree. I like Indian Hooker. I'd almost... I'd almost consider him for top five. And we'll get to the top five here. Coming at number five on their list is K.J. Jefferson in Arkansas. And here's what they say. Here's a player with impressive size who does everything you want out of the quarterback spot. Few players enhanced their athletic development as much as K.J. Jefferson last season. Going from hopeful impact starter to team MVP and one of the SEC's best by season's end. Jefferson's not as tall as Cam Newton, but plays a similar rugged style that is a perfect fit for the Razorbacks' attack under Kendall Bryles. Need him to get tough yardage on third manageable? manageable? He can do that. Need him to pull it and fire one to the second level with precision? He checks that box. It's a physical nature at which he plays along with leadership qualities that make Jefferson a potential SEC MVP candidate this year. I'll say this is a little high for me. This is 24-7 sports. I got to see it from K.J. Jefferson first. I went back and watched some film from, from him last year. There is no doubt he is a tough SOB. He will tuck it. He will run it. Uh, try to run you over. Try to push it in at the goal line. He can give you all that. I saw a guy that I feel like needs to improve as a passer. Um, the yardage was not as high or as productive, I guess you would say, last year as I remembered it being. Not saying he can't get there, but I, in my personal rankings, I'd have Hendon Hooker ahead of K.J. Jefferson. With the opportunity that K.J. can prove it this year on the field, no doubt. He can absolutely take Sam Pittman and Arkansas to another level and compete with Alabama and the SEC West. Absolutely. But I got to see it play out first. And, of course, number one on this list, Bryce Young out of Alabama. No questions asked. He's the SEC's top returning player on offense. College football's best quarterback nationally. Was spectacular last year as a sophomore, capturing Alabama's second straight Heisman after leading the Crimson Tide to the playoff. He was especially dynamic in big spots, achieving maximum levels in crunch time and against Georgia in the SEC title game where he shredded the nation's top defense. One of the projected top picks in the NFL draft next year could be the best quarterback to come out of Alabama during Nick Saban's tenure, and that is saying a lot. Few of the other guys that they listed uh, that missed the cut on 24-7 Sports, 20 best quarterbacks, Oregon's Bo Nix. I throw him in because that's formerly Auburn's Bo Nix. Georgia's Stetson Bennett. Texas A&M's Max Johnson. Transfer from LSU. Not even, again, not even guaranteed to be the starter there. LSU's Miles Brennan. Again, not guaranteed to be the starter there. So that's what 24-7 Sports has. Um, again, agree or disagree. There's a lot I disagree with there. And just to fill in the rest of the top five, they've got Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from UCF, who's now at Oklahoma. At number three, they have Caleb Williams, the quarterback at USC, who came from Oklahoma. And at number two, C.J. Stroud, who was the electric uh, young quarterback last year that took over the Big Ten and he just played a little bit better in that Michigan game. Uh, Ohio State would have been in the playoffs. So, not a bad list. Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, I think, belong up there. Caleb Williams, I think, still has a little something to prove because he had his ups and downs at Oklahoma last year. But I think after that, there's a lot that could be <laughs> debated. 
and kicked around. So there you have it. That is uh, that is the latest there. Check out the full list over at 247sports.com. I'm Chris Gordy. This has been Locked On SEC. You guys have a fantastic weekend. I will be traveling, so we'll try to get you up to date on what's going on after the SEC baseball tournament. And then, of course, uh, as regional sites get announced, we'll try to get you updated on all that next week. But you guys have an awesome weekend. Keep it locked right here, Locked On SEC. And thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen. Check out some of our other great podcasts on the Locked On Network, Locked On Vols, Locked On Razorbacks, Locked On Kentucky. Tons of great ones to choose from. Talk to you guys next week.